We exist to come alongside people who are hurting, who are broken, who are messed up, to come alongside them and give them love and to give them grace and to give them encouragement until they can rise above it and walk on that path on their own. Pathway Church, located in Burleson, Texas. We worship together, serve together, and grow together. Good morning, everybody. You may be seated. So glad you were here this morning. Before I do anything this morning, I got to say, look in that camera, and I got to tell my dad, Dad, happy 91st birthday, Dad. Will y'all help me say, celebrate birthday to my dad? Yeah. Uh, some of y'all don't know this. My dad used to be on staff here. He's an ordained uh, United Methodist minister, and uh, uh, Dad, boom, uh, that, that's for you. Thank you for all you've done here for this church, God. Uh, dad, to help make it happen and come to this place in life, Dad, and I love you. I'm proud of you. I'm, I'm very proud to be your son, so I just wanted to begin with that. Hey, and if you're here this morning, so glad that you were here. Uh, thank you for joining us, whether you're online, in the sanctuary, True Worth, or right here in the ark where we're assembled. And I, I can tell right now by looking at some of you, uh, even those that are online at True Worth, you're a little stressed. Anybody here admit they're stressed? Anybody admit they're stressed? Will anybody raise your hand? So you're, you're stressed. So I have a stress ball for you right there. Is there anybody back there in the back stress? There's someone stressed right back there. Okay. Hey, sanctuary. Is there anybody stressed? This is for you, sanctuary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're coming. You don't even run. They're coming that way. And so we, I have some, some stress balls here just for a few people. If there's somebody there uh, that's stressed. And uh, we have them for everybody if you want one, just so you know. Okay. And because uh, I can tell how some of you really are. If you'll notice on this stress ball, it says, uh, is there anybody there? I didn't. Go get it. There you go. Okay. So, 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 <laughs> I'm not going to be defeated there in perfect. So. so, man, we want everyone to have one of these. Uh, pick one up out in the crossing. And we have a little place there which says, now one more. And we're just handing out stuff just for fun, but also a chance for you to kind of learn what's happening over here, kind of get an update status report on the facility. And we're going to start taking tours pretty soon on the weekend. That you can go actually on the weekend after worship, before work, take a tour, kind of ask questions, kind of get familiar. We want you to get familiar with it. Pray over it as you walk through it. Uh, we're have chances to write scriptures on different places, you know, within there. So we just and online. I'm sorry, I can't make that happen online or true worth, but just connect right there uh, with someone, your host, your pastor, host, and we want to get something to you, a stress ball or whatever we're doing here. We want you to feel just as included. And uh, we want you to take some tours, and we'll kind of do that virtually when we have that opportunity. So, glad you're here. Let's dive right on in. We are in week three of a season we're calling Lent. And Lent is the 40 days before Easter, excluding Sundays. It's a time of introspection and a time of confession. We're also in the third week of a message series we are calling Life-Changing Words. Uh, we believe that Instead of kind of putting a whole bunch out there, we're giving you one particular word to focus on, kind of expand it on that word, that if we do that every week, that we'll begin to experience some, some change, some life change in our lives. We started with the word no, and word no is a simple little word that allows us to declutter. I mean, some of us have so much clutter to say no to some things so we can make space for God in our life. Last week, we talked about the word yes, and the word yes is a very important word because the scripture tells us that every promise of God is yes in Jesus Christ. So that means every day I can wake up and I can say yes to God. 
because he's already said yes to me. I can say yes to life. And I hope some of you this past week were really focusing and thinking about your yes to God and what does it mean and the yes to the people in your life that you say are really important to you. Now, a word this morning is a, is a difficult word. It's the hardest word in the whole series, and some of you are not going to like it. Uh, some of you might be mad at me before you leave here this morning. I'm just going to go ahead and kind of share that with you. Uh, it's a tough word. It's a word that strikes at our pride. It's a word that circles back to something we talked about on Ash Wednesday, if you joined us online for Ash Wednesday. Uh, and that word is sorry. Sorry. Now, this morning, when we talk about the word sorry, we're not saying like, oh, my bad. It's not like, oops. It's like going under the knife. Kind of sorry. First thing in your message notes, if you're taking notes on your app or anything that you printed off and you have right there, here's the first thing. Sorry is examining myself with unflinching honesty, confessing with humility, and making things right. We're talking about spiritual surgery here this morning. Now, sorry is a very simple word. Yet it's amazing the number of reasons you and I will come up with to not say the word I'm sorry in the context of how we just describe what sorry is biblically. In fact, I'm going to suggest there are some of you who have not done this in years, maybe if ever for some. This past summer, our family went on vacation to Estes Park, go hiking up in the Rockies, had a great time. We're on one of our little hikes, and we begin to develop a relationship with different park rangers that were there. And one of them struck up a conversation with me, pointed out something in my leg, and said, hey, you got something in your leg there. I said, where? He said, right there. He looked at it. He said, man, you got a tick in your leg. He took out his chainsaw, <laughs> cut that sucker out right there, saved my leg, saved my life right there on, on the hiking trail. Show up for work one morning, first one here. Walk in the office, everything's going good. My assistant walks in, uh, Judy Gilbert, and she says, Hey, Rick, you, you got a giant screw in your tire parked right next to me. Now, you would think that I would know if there was a giant screw in my tire, but you would be wrong. <laughs> I didn't know, had no clue. So I get back in the car, go to the discount tire, leave it there. The guy says, Hey, listen. You got a giant screw in your tire. How did it get there? Now, I thought of several sarcastic things to come out of my mouth right then, this guy. But I spared him, and I said, I don't know. Took it out. Saved my tire. Now, imagine if I would have said, hey, to both the mechanic or to, to uh, uh, the park ranger, hey, no big deal. I got it. I really don't want to mess with it. I'm managing my life just fine the way it is. It'll take care of itself. Or imagine if I would have said to the mechanic or to the park ranger, man, how dare you point out that I got a tick in my leg? How dare you point out I got a giant screw in my tire? You're body shaming my car. <laughs> You're body shaming my leg. I'm mad at you because you're making me feel so bad about myself. Now, we would never do that about our body or about our tire that someone noticed to kind of help us out. 
We would never say it about our house if someone noticed something going on with our house or about our business. We would welcome it. But when it comes to our character, when it comes to our soul, we do it all the time. Don't we? Don't want to hear it? I got it. Leave it alone. Don't insult me. It's my life. I can do what I want. Hmm. Hello, everybody. My name is Rick. I am a sinner saved by grace. Yeah. I have some issues. I procrastinate when I don't want to. I can be pretty impatient. I can expect people to read my mind, and when they don't read my mind, I get kind of angry. I can be selfish. I can get caught up in this thing the world talks about called lust. I can be overconfident. I can be over-independent. I can shut people out when they hurt me. Now, people who know me, know me well, they can see that just as clearly as the park ranger can see the tick in my leg or the mechanic can see the giant screw in my tire. But I send out these little messages to them, subtle or not so subtle, hey, I don't want you to say anything about it. Don't, don't bring it up. Don't, don't, don't say anything. Just leave it alone. And so I and you, we end up, end up living these respectable, decent, double lives. I go to church, but during the week my behavior doesn't show that I go to church. I pray when I need something. And I believe, I mean, I, I do believe, but when it gets really hard, when it gets really hard and life is challenging, my doubt is really greater than my belief. And I use the word sorry when I want to smooth over things, you know, to kind of manage, to kind of make things kind of go away and to let people know, hey, so it just kind of stops so it goes away, to kind of ruffle any feathers, to manage, to manage the situation. I say Sorry but not really to face the full-fledged, brutal honesty of the state of my soul. And so, I keep my character defects just kind of right underneath the surface of my life. Just, they're kind of right there. I, I kind of, they're, they're kind of right there, right, right underneath all these little defects I have. They're right there. But I, but I never seriously, systematically examine them. Who, who does that anyway, huh? And I certainly don't make it a priority in my life, the number one priority in my life, to ask God to remove these things. And I don't invite other people to come look at it and to tell me what they think and to 
speak into it. I, I don't do that. I mean, who does that? And, and nobody else does that, so why should I do that? And don't you think God's pretty much okay with it? Maybe not. Maybe not. This gets us deeper this morning into the idea of something called grace. Say grace. Many of us think we know what grace is, but we don't. We have a misunderstanding of what grace is. We misapply it. We think it's just something called pain avoidance, that grace is something that allows me to avoid the pain of doing the hard work on myself. This gets us deeper into the idea of what is guilt and what is sin and what is confession, what is redemption, what is transformation. It takes us deeper into an understanding of What does it mean to be a human being created in the image of God and to actually be the person that God created me to be? That person. That person. What does it mean to be a community of people called the church that God called into existence? What does it mean to be that church? Not our church, not what you want in church, the church that God created and called into existence. What does that mean? Now, I want to I share something with all of you, whether you're online, True Worth, Sanctuary, right, right here, that I can look at and see your eyeballs, eyeball to eyeball. And if I could go and look each one of you in the eye, I would do it this morning, and I would say it with love in my heart. You got a tick in your leg. You got a giant screw in your tire. And you can make it the absolute priority of your life to ask God to help you to get it out. And you do whatever it takes at all costs to agree and go along with whatever God's going to do. Or you can pretend that it doesn't exist. I got it. No big deal. It'll go away. Don't worry about it. Leave me alone. And the stakes are pretty high. Be very clear. The stakes are pretty high. Now, there's a disturbing story in the Bible over in Acts chapter 5, the New Testament, Acts chapter 5, that kind of helps us wrestle with this concept here of word sorry a little bit in the context that we've laid out thus far. In Acts chapter 5, we have the beginnings of what this thing is we call the church. And in the church, you have all these people, and we meet a couple here pretty early in chapter 5 named Ananias and Sapphira. We don't know why Ananias and Sapphira are in this church. We don't know why they're attracted to Jesus, but somehow they're attracted to Jesus. One of the things we know about this church is that they're very generous. That might have attracted them. There were a lot of people in the church who were poor, but there were people who had resources. And they were very generous with their resources. In fact, right here at the end of chapter 4, there was a guy named Joseph who had a piece of property. And he went and sold the property. He took all the resources and he gave it there to that little local church. And the people were so moved by his generosity, they changed his name to Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Now we got another couple here. We just introduced Ananias and Sapphira here in verse 5. They also have resources. Kind of a hard story. See what happens. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself. 
but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, let's play this out for a second. Just stop right there. First of all, you had this couple, and they see everybody else giving generously, and they think, you know what? We got to do the same thing. But maybe, just maybe, they see it, and they feel the peer pressure of having to do it, and they resentful. They do it, but they resent it. Maybe, maybe they see this guy right here, Barnabas, getting all this admiration and attention from everybody. Man, and Barnabas, awesome, 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 awesome. They get a little jealous or resentful. They want to be honored and admired like everybody else, too. They, they, they want to be generous, but they also want to be rich so they can enjoy what they want to enjoy. They want to be loved by everybody like Barnabas, but they don't want everybody to know that they're jealous of Barnabas, and they're resentful a little bit. They don't want anybody to know that. They want to be celebrated like Barnabas, but they don't want everybody to know that they're kind of living a double life, that they want to have their foot over here and their foot over here. They don't want anybody to know that stuff. Anybody relate to that? I can I mean, I want God, I want God, but sometimes I want what I want more than what God wants for me. Anybody else? So Ananias has this idea, and here's his idea, verses 3 and 4. Hey, wife, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take this piece of property, and we're going to sell it. And we're going to give some to the church, and we're going to keep some for ourselves. And it's not going to be lying we're not going to tell anybody what we're going to do, but we're going to give the appearance that we're just like Barnabas giving the whole thing. And we can do this in such a way that no one's going to know that we really are resentful, we're really jealous of him, we really kind of, you know, kind of uh, envy him, the attention he's getting. And we're going to get that without anybody knowing because they're all going to think we're going to pretend what our values are on the outside and betray them on the inside. Let's do it. Now, here's a key moment in the story. Because his wife has an opportunity to stop and say, hey, listen, honey, let's stop here. There's a tick in your leg. There's a giant screw in your tire. But she says nothing. She says, yeah, sounds like a good idea to me. And that's what they do. Now, I want to point out something that's going on here. This is number two in your message notes. This is called the sin of conniving or the sin of deceit. Either one. Same thing. Sin of conniving, sin of deceit. And that's where I pretend not to notice my character defects. That's where I pretend. It's a very serious, dangerous type of sinful behavior. Because the person who doesn't acknowledge their deceitfulness, they're deceitful and they're conniving and they're not even aware of it and they're doing it and they're blind to it. It becomes just normal, acceptable way of life. But Peter looks through it and he sees it. And Peter doesn't connive. He confronts Peter head on. And he says, Ananias, your greatest sin is not your jealousy. 
Your greatest sin is not your resentment. Your greatest sin is not giving under pressure. Hey, listen, dude, nobody put a gun into your head. Nobody forced you to sell that property. You could have kept the whole stuff thing to yourself. It would have been totally okay. After all, it was yours. But your deepest sin, Ananias, is your deceit. It is your pretending. It is your conniving. It is the decision to live a double life, have one foot over here and one foot over here, and I could be completely and totally in. And so he does this. He confronts him. Verse 5, when Ananias heard this, he fell down and he died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. A couple hours later, his wife comes along. Peter has the same conversation. She responds the same way Ananias does, da 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 kind of deceitful. And then at verse 10, she falls down and dies. Verse 11, great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Do you think? <laughs> Do you think? Now, let's talk about here really what's going on here a little bit. We know we got a couple in the church who are not the most trustworthy and honorable church members. We got any, besides me, uh, church members that are not totally trustworthy and honorable? Am I the, am I the only one? <laughs> and the scripture doesn't tell us because they messed up, they were condemned to hell. It doesn't say that. Aren't you glad that, aren't you, aren't you glad that one thing doesn't, do, aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? We know that something bad happened. We know that our God has always looked out for the eternal best of his kids. We know that's who God is. But we don't know really why this passage is in the Bible. Why is this story in the Bible right there where it is? Now, I want you to remember something. The Bible is written, kind of, the letters are written, kind of when all this is happening in real time. This is the earliest time of the church in Acts chapter 4 and 5. This is the early, early time of the church. And so the scriptures, these other scriptures are actually being written while this is going on. So why is this particular text right here? And here's why I think it's going on. When the church got, first got started, the church was full of power. I mean power. Power to forgive, power to heal, power to overcome Power to break down barriers of hatred of people who couldn't stand each other. That through the power of God, they learned how to love each other and to pray for their enemies and love their enemies. I mean, really to practice the teachings of Jesus in every part of their life. There was power. Now, anybody who knows about power, no, power can be dangerous. And you got to know how to manage power and where, how power works. You got to know how power works. We learned that during Snowmageddon, didn't you? We need to know how the power grid works. Somebody does, at least. At least one person does, you know, and take care of that. We got to know how the power grid works. I had a gentleman here uh, whose power went out for a few days, and he had to call the geek squad to come in after a couple of days not getting his computer booted back up because he couldn't get his computer back up, and he called the geek squad. They came and showed up, and they charged him 100 bucks to plug his computer back into the wall. He had just unplugged everything because he didn't have a surge and he didn't get that plugged in. The Holy Spirit sends the geek squad in Acts chapter 2. 
to get the people of God plugged in to the power of God. And the human race in this story is plugged back in to the power of God. Nothing almost like was happening in the Garden of Eden before the fall. There was a power that totally changed and transformed lives. Now, this point I'm about to give you is not just true for church. This is true for you as a person. This is true for you as a married couple. This is true as you as a family, wherever you're single. This is a true truth about power. In your notes, number three, spiritual power flows when I get honest about my flaws, my sin, and my need for God. That's when it flows. See, none of us are natural in understanding this. This is counterintuitive. Because you and I think we are powerful when we are wise, when we are smart, when we are strong, when we put up a front to let everybody know, I got this, I can do this, I am strong. And it's actually just the opposite. That the power of God flows into your life when you admit your weaknesses, when you come clean about that tick and about that screw in your life that you can't do anything about on your own. Something happens. And yes, it is biblical. God makes this clear to the Apostle Paul in his wrestling over in 2 Corinthians 12, uh, verse 9. We'll put it on the screen. But he said to me, God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power might rest in me. See, we confuse the whole thing. We think it's, I got it, no big deal. I can manage it. Over time, it'll take care of itself. No, it's just the total opposite. That's when the power of God flows into your life and transforms and changes. And well, you, you need to understand this. It's not just about your life all by itself. It's my life. I can do with it what I want. No, 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 no. Your marriage, your small group, the church is like a spiritual power grid, a spiritual ecosystem. And when you say, or 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 anyone says, hey, I got this, I can do this on my own, I don't need any help, I can got it by myself, I can manage it, power is cut off from flowing through you into other people. It kills marriages. It kills friendships. It kills businesses. It kills churches. It destroys it. Because all the pretending that's going on on the outside. So why, why, why is this passage in the Bible? In John chapter 14, Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit flowing through people's lives like an electric current flows through wires from one circuit to the next 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 circuit. And when you and I hide... When you and I hide in our sin, when you and I hide the, the giant screws in our soul, when you and I hide from the ticks in our legs, when you and I hide and pretend they don't exist, you and I cut off the circuit flow of the power. 
And it only flows through us when we are open and we're clean with God. It can move through us without the barriers that we have created in our lives. So why is it here? Here's what I think. I think Acts chapter 5 is the New Testament version of Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve deceive They hide, and they experience spiritual death. And right here in Acts chapter 5, you have the early church, where this power is there like it was in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, and they deceive, they hide, and their spiritual and physical death. In your notes, the key reason for this verse is do not fear dying, do not fear dying, fear living the wrong life. Fear becoming the wrong person. Be afraid of hiding. Be afraid of your soul. Not receiving the care from God that only God can give it. Fear that. In this text twice it says, fell down dead, the whole church was full of fear. They were afraid. And you go, man, that must have been a very uncomfortable experience. Can you imagine how this is not popular? The church, they're trying to start the church, and this is how they promote the church. Church member falls over dead. Boom. Who's coming to that church next week? <laughs> right? If one of you right now were just to kill over and we promote that, hey, let's come to church, uh, you'll, you'll just die on the spot. <laughs> That's not a good way to start. Why is it there? It's not to create this fear of, because church, it's crazy. It's insane to keep doing the same stuff over and over and over and over and over and over and over again and just thinking one day it's accidentally going to go away. It's not. You know the people who know grace the most? Is the people who understand this one line in an old hymn, Amazing Grace, was grace that taught my heart to fear. And the healthiest people I know are the people in this church who are 12-step people. who have the healthy knowledge and fear, recovery people, a healthy knowledge and fear that except by the moment, by moment, by second grace of God, they are one decision away from bringing hell, not just upon their life, but on everybody around them. One decision, one choice away. And they know they got to have the power of God's grace flowing through them continuously. And because of that, they know they need a community. A community. Well, the first thing people say, hello, my name is Rick, I am, and they fill in the blank, and everybody hears it, and everybody knows it. And it's in that context, they know they can get healed, and they can get well. And it was the church's idea that birthed the 12-step community. And I got to tell you, church, I am weary of people who are in need of recovery having to go to a 12-step AA group 
Because they come to church and there's no power flowing because everybody is pretending. And I'm asking you this morning that you help us become the church that God called and created us to be, not the church that you want it to be. But a church where we come in real honesty and openness and safety in relationships to deal with the honesty of the stuff in our life, not just for our sake, but for the people that we say we love's sake. And you can choose to help, you can choose to thwart it. You can choose to get real, you can choose to pretend. And I'm asking you. Now, in the time we have left, I'm going to give you three quick things and then two barriers on how to live out sorry with power in your life. And it's very practical and it's very straightforward. And here's the first one. Do a fearless and searching moral inventory. We talked about this before. This goes way back in the history of the people of God over in Psalm 139. We visited this verse here not too long ago. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Just look, God, verse 24, if there's any offensive way in me. So here's what I do. I will sit down in the morning. I will get my Bible. I will get my journal. And during the season of Lent, this is when I really do this. And I'll ask God to help me because I know I can't do it on my on myself. And I ask God, help me look at myself. And so what I'll do is I'll get like maybe like the seven deadly sins. Okay? And I got them here. I went, I'm afraid I'll leave one out. Pride, anger, lust, envy, gluttony, greed, and laziness. And I'll just have those before me. And I'll say, God, will you please show any place in my life where there was pride or anger or lust or envy or gluttony or greed or laziness? And what I'll do is I'll look at yesterday. So this morning I looked at yesterday and I just did like a film, like a, like a coach watching a game film. And I just went through my day looking for those places. And I wrote them down in my journal, made little notes about what I need to do today to not repeat that tomorrow and asking God to give me the power to not do that. And then after I write all those things down in my journal, I go lock it up in my safe just in case I die and you come to my house looking for it, okay? <laughs> I know I can't trust y'all. Y'all gonna post, I know what you'll do. You'll post it all over somewhere and stuff and everything like that. Seriously. Seriously. I'm going to tell you why this is so important. I've come to the conclusion what the world needs most. I've been praying and asking, looking at this world in which you and I live in, and especially the United States of America, what do we need most? And here's what I figured out. We don't need better houses. We don't need better insurance. We don't need necessarily better power grids. We don't need better government, better social justice policy. We don't need more better government policy. We don't need better politicians. What we need is better people. Just better people. And can I give you some good news? You can make a contribution to that. And your number one strategy, just in case you're not sure, is not the person sitting next to you. It's not your kid. It's not your spouse. It's not your boss. The number one strategy is you. The best luck you have of being, making someone a better person is you making you a better person. Just be a better person and work on it. 
Hey, I'm, I, I got to take the tick out of my leg because I'm responsible for my leg. You're not responsible for my leg. I got to take the, the screw out of my tire because you're not responsible for my tire. I'm responsible for my tire, and I'm responsible for my soul. I'm not responsible for your soul, for your soul, for your soul, for their, for my soul. So am I asking you, will you examine yourself? I'm asking you to. Here's the second thing I would ask. Do a fearless, excuse me, confess my defects to God, myself, and another person. Confess them to somebody else. Not, not just to God. This is very biblical. Early church, James 5, 16. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another so you'll be healed. I want you to notice the power, confession, and the flowing of healing. They go together. Now, let me ask you, who do you think the hardest is to confess to? God, yourself, or somebody else? <laughs> Self is pretty hard, but you know what's really hard? Is to look somebody in the eye that you think that really loves you and say, I got to tell you something. And some of you are going, well, why would I do that? Why would I go through the pain and humiliation of telling somebody some deep, dark, secret thing that I just can't deem to get rid of? Why would I do that? Anybody here discover that the biggest creator of problems in your life is you? I create more problems for myself than anybody else. And if you want to stop creating the same problem, here's what I promise you. If you have an issue with lust or apathy or anger or any sort of addiction or drinking or just you're having an affair with somebody right now, You tell somebody, and they're holding you accountable, and you love them, and they love you, you don't want to go and tell them and look them in the eye. I messed up again. I can't believe it. It will inspire you, encourage you to hold, to walk the line when you have an accountability partner. It may be one person. It may be multiple people. I just ask you this. Don't walk up to somebody on the street this week and say, hey, listen, my pastor told me to tell you the darkest sin going on in my life, and just boom, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. Please don't do that. Okay. And if you do, that's on you. I'm, just, I'm not owning that, okay? But maybe it's one person. Maybe it's memory. Maybe it's a counselor. Maybe you need a counselor. Okay, but here's what I know. When you hide, you die. When you get real, you heal. When you hide, you die. When you get real, you heal. And you cannot be fully loved until you are fully known. That means somebody really knowing you and loving you. That's what Jesus does on the cross. And here's the last one. Do whatever I can to make right what I have made wrong. Do ever, and I'm not, I'm not even going to spend time on that this morning. I don't, I don't have time to wrestle with that. Here are the two barriers to living out sorry, because I know this is going to happen. Some of you are going to think, Pastor, I don't know that I need to do this, because LRA, I am a conventionally decent person. Hey, I'm, a, I'm, not, I'm, I don't, I'm not in and out of jail. I'm not an axe murderer. I don't steal kids. I'm not one of those people. I'm a pretty conventionally decent person. Can I just tell you the truth? Conventionally decent people scare the bejeebers out of me. It's like a snake in the grass, a poisonous snake right under your nose. Because on the outside, 
But on the inside, they can be mean and harsh and judgmental and condemning and on the outside loving, but on the inside loveless, conventional, decent people put Jesus on the cross and they killed him. We don't need any conventionally decent people. And as a recovering conventional decent person, I will tell you, I need more people helping me with my sin, not less people, because I got a lot of issues. And the more people in my life who are helping me, the better. Here's the last one. Pastor, I know I should do this. I know I need to do this, but let her be. I don't want to. You're going to think that. I don't want to. Can I ask you a question? Can you open, you may open your Bibles to the passage where it says, Thou shalt do what thou wants to do. <laughs> this is straight from God's Word. And if you're still making all the criteria, decisions in your life based on what I want to do, I would just make a suggestion. Maybe you're not yet following Jesus. Because if I have died to Christ, I have died to making decisions based on what I want to do. And it hurts like hell to die to Christ. To be crucified, it hurts like hell. It hurts like hell to be known for who you really are, right? For people to really know the truth, it hurts. But it hurts a lot worse to live your whole life that way and destroy people around. <laughs> there are two things we have in the church that helps us drive a stake in the ground, and one of them is baptism. And I'll just ask you, have you, have you, have you been baptized? Online, true worth, in this sanctuary, have you, been, have you been baptized? Have you said yes publicly before Christ? Before, yes, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Savior, and Lord, I have been crucified with Christ. I need his power in my life. I confess I need Jesus as my friend, as my Savior, as my mechanic, as the one with the chainsaw to remove the tick from my lead. I need him in my life. Have you done that? If you haven't, I ask you to consider going next week to our Pathfinders class. If you're open, you think, my, maybe this is time of my life, and we're going to have baptisms here in another week. In two weeks, we're having baptisms. And oh, what a day it would be if you chose during this season, with everything going on in the world, I'm going to drive a stake in the ground. And I'm going to be public about it. Everybody know I need Jesus. Second one's communion. And we're going to do this on Monday, Thursday. And communion is when I come and I receive the sacrament of communion. I hold the bread and I go, wow, the body of Christ. I hold the blood. The blood, he, he was crucified for me. He went through hell for me. And here I am pretending like I'm a Christian. I'm just pretending. No, I can't pretend. And I just come with humility to take the bread and receive it. And it kind of reminds me again of getting back to the basic core of the need of my soul for a Savior. And we're going to do that here in a couple of weeks on April 1st in your homes. You can do it in your small groups. You can pick up communion kits. You can sign up to give a communion kit and have it in your home. Have a very special experience online to help you do this and just to drive home this whole concept. Now, I'd be remiss if I didn't stop right here and have closing prayer with you.
And uh, invite anyone who needs to this morning who's tired of dealing with the same stuff over and over again just to have a little moment of confessing before God and get honest with yourself. Stop lying to yourself, please. And maybe there's somebody right now you're thinking of, you need to say, I am sorry to, and here's why. And just right now, that's just hitting you in the face. You're going to do something about it today. Not sorry. I am sorry because I, can you fill in the blank? Or maybe someone here right now, you're going to stake in the ground, Jesus, I need you as my Savior, as my Lord, as my friend, as the lover of my soul who knows everything about me. I need to be delivered from this tick and from this gigantic screw. Would you help me so power can flow through my life into the people I love? Transforming, life-changing power. If you've done that, please, 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 please speak to me. Speak to someone in the crossing. Go to the Welcome Center. Let somebody know and let us help you take that next step. And we'll say, amen. So be it. Woo-hoo. Yes, yes, yes. Thanks be to God. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen, amen. Have a great week. See you next weekend.